0: The views expressed in this program are those of the participants.
1: The moon will hit its perigee in 10 hours. Now, we match its trajectory, increase emitter coolant rate so that we can apply continuous warp equivalent power 9 to the tractor beam. We can push it for nearly 7 hours, and I think that just might do it, but there's a problem. The Enterprise will be dangerously close to the atmosphere. That's the problem. Q, I've got a few people down on rail four who are gonna be hurt. Yes, 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 your marvelous plan will not only tear the moon to pieces, but your precious ship as well. You got a better idea? Well, I would certainly begin by examining the cause and not the symptom. We've already done that, Q, and there's no way to... This is obviously the result of a large celestial object passing through at near right angles to the plane of the star system. Probably a black hole. Can you recommend a way to counter the effect? Simple. Change the gravitational constant of the universe. What? Change the gravitational constant of the universe, thereby altering the mass of the asteroid. Redefine gravity. And how am I supposed to do that? You just do it! Geordi is trying to say that changing the gravitational constant of the universe is beyond our capabilities. Oh. Well, in that case, never mind.
2: Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, January 11, 2018. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be from the Department of Applied Mathematics at Western University, Professor Christopher Essex, who is no stranger to our show. Welcome to our show today. Chris. Hi, Bob. Before we get underway, let's remind our listeners that they can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Subscribe to Just Write on iTunes. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, all of our past broadcasts. Now, as a theoretical physicist, Chris, over our Christmas dinner this past Christmas, one of those layman debates about gravity arose. Concerning and <laughs> oh, like, like it happens it's around everybody's day. Yeah, well, right. no,
0: this is one of people talk to me about gravity yeah, all the time. Well, this, is, <laughs> this, not, this actually
2: came up. Right? Okay, all right, good. And I it concerns you. an imaginary trip to the center of the Earth, mm-hmm. and I was surprised how much conversation it generated. Mm-hmm. That was good. Um, that question goes something like this, and I hope I'm getting it right. If an individual in some make-believe vehicle could unobstructively travel to the center of the Earth, a la Jules Verne, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Would he or she be weightless? Yes. at the, they would be. Yeah. because even if the force of gravity were
0: strongest at the center of the Earth, you know. No, well, this is this it, is it, this is really a classical uh, problem. There's uh, something called in mathematics called Gauss's law, which relates surface areas uh, or surfaces to volumes. And uh, if you add up all the mass and all the forces in principle at the center, you would uh, all the forces would cancel out, and so you'd have a, you'd be pulled in opposite directions in exactly the same way. So you'd have no net gravitational force. Um, and it's quite charming how all of this works. And you can actually do the calculation. It's pretty simple if you were to modify your problem and drill a hole from one end of the Earth through the middle to the other end, and you were to drop something, Mm -hmm. it would fall, and then it would go to the other end of the Earth, the other hole on the other side, and then it would stop and then come back, and it would become, it'll oscillate up and down, just like it's in orbit. And this is a property of the gravitational law, Newton's gravitational law going as 1 over r squared, and it just happens that our geometry, the surface area goes as R-squared, and so it just, everything just cancels perfectly, and then when you drill the hole, you end up with a, kind of a combination. As you fall deeper down, you exclude the outer layers of the, the thing. It has less and less gravitational force until it's zero, but you still have the momentum from the fall, and you just go right through the one end, and then you go back and forth. So it's kind of,
2: it's just no, really it's, cool. it's kind of a yeah. have-your-cake-and-eat-it-too kind of question, isn't it? Because Without mass, you don't have that gravitational force. So the earth, and you wouldn't even be able to say well, the center no, of force
0: the earth. Well, is, is always, what happens to you is about the net force. Uh-huh. It's, it's not about the force. And so there's a force there and whatever. You have, you have force in the other direction, that cancels. You so. can actually,
3: you don't have to go but to the center of the earth to think about it. You're just sitting right here. You can figure it out because in front of me, and below is half of the earth behind me and below is the other half of the earth and they're both pulling equally on me the net the net forces that i feel like i'm pulling, being pulled down straight uh,
0: yeah and uh, you can kind of extend that idea it's it's, it's 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 a really cool thing and uh, it's just a property of the geometry of space And the nature of gravitational force, which is connected to geometry in very subtle ways, as anyone who's thought about uh, general relativity understands.
2: Well, that was an interesting answer. I think our guests at the dinner table will be glad to hear what you had to say. Well, I'm glad they're (laughs) relieved.
0: But it's good that people are curious, which is really an important part of our discussion today, is that the world that we live in is a completely amazing place. And there are so many things to learn and it really is a lifetime's exploration. It's not something that you just quit when you're in school and then and then it's done. It's something you know, as you get older, you acquire more and more knowledge about more and more things. And um, I know a lot more now than I knew 10 years ago and uh, it just keeps going.
3: You know, with um, in politics especially, which is where we, Bob and I, spend most of our time, we see a lot of interest in scientific discoveries and how they affect uh, political policy. Are we shirking our responsibility as laymen to find out as much as we can about particular scientific discoveries and um, modeling, for example, climate change and the environment, and pawning off that responsibility to experts, so-called, and letting them do all the heavy lifting? Why, why doesn't everybody out there know about climate change the way you May know about climate change
0: well there's a couple of things to consider one of the things to consider is that there are a lot of kinds of knowledge that are actually very difficult to learn in the sense that you actually have to put a lot of effort into doing it and it's i often use the analogy of climbing mountains so that you can hang around in the valleys or you can do the real work and climb on the mountain and once you're on the mountain you can see a whole bunch of things you couldn't see before but if you stay down the valleys, it's really easy. And it's the same thing with a lot of topics. You know, you, you people encounter something, well, they, mathematics is an obvious one, but there are lots of these things. I mean, learning a foreign language is, is an example of something that requires effort in order to see the payoff and so forth. But once you have this under your belt, you can see more things and you can accomplish more things and you can talk about more things. The real problem is that people assess their own abilities by the difficulty. So if something is difficult, then they conclude that they're not talented at it. And I think to a large extent, talent is sort of a side issue. If you learn to play the piano, you might not be performing in Carnegie Hall, but you know very well that if you practice the piano, you'll get better at it. There's no question about that, and most people with reasonable dexterity and reasonable competence can still entertain themselves if they had been practicing the piano. I mean, they can still get better at it and they can still say something practical about things at that way. And um, I think there's a sort of a practical issue here as well, which is, should we just learn everything? And one of the things that I've come to realize is that uh, people in their own specialties always feel that their specialty is something that people don't know enough of, and so they should learn it. And I think I realize that if I said, well, everyone should go out and learn mathematics and physics and differential equations and everything else, then I would, you know, I'd be one of those people, and I should be careful not to do that, uh, because I don't think that's completely right. But... If you yourself conclude that this is an important topic because it's become a political topic or a policy topic, or people are telling you that this is important, then it's a different ball game. Then you do have to learn it. And that's one of the things that is, I think, very characteristic of the modern world is people are involved politically in things that they make no effort to learn themselves.
2: Including politics itself, I'm afraid, not just science and all the other related fields that could be affected by it. You You know, know, Robert A. A. Heinlein wrote a a story where he said basically
3: that if you go into a voting booth, you have to solve a differential equation before the ballot presents itself to you. (laughs) (laughs) And in some cases, I can see the absurdity of that, of course, because I I couldn't solve a differential equation to, to save my life at the moment. However, I wouldn't put it past me to be able to learn how to do that. If it was necessary, no.
0: I sit me down with you. I'll, let's sit down for an hour, and I can teach you the basics right away. I mean, if you're interested and you're willing to put the effort in, and you don't, you don't have a mindset where you've decided oh, I can't do it. I'm not good at well, this. Well, I right? actually I mean, studied
3: it in university, there. and I did very poorly
0: in it. I'm afraid. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll sit down for an hour, and I'll, I'll bring you up to speed, <laughs> or at, at least at least you can get kind of partial, an intuition about some of these things, even if you're not like a total expert. And is it really, do you really have an hour? I mean, there are some topics which are scientific, scientific issues that are sitting around for for decades, for 30 years or 40 years. And I don't care who you are. I would say the average person, I have a lot of respect for their intelligence. If you give them enough time, they'll get the idea. And it's just a question of, you know, it's one thing if you have to do it for the, the semester. It's another thing if you have to do it for 10 years from now. And there are ideas floating around that just are not penetrating, that need to penetrate and become part of how people think of things, but they they become the, the cliches dominate and the deeper understanding doesn't. So when someone actually comes up to talk about you know, here are the cards on the table, this is the thing, you discover that nobody knows anything about it and you're actually completely incapable of even having a discussion about it. It's, it's frustrating.
3: I paid my propane bill the other day. And on it, of course, is a carbon price. Mm-hmm. It's $20. The fill up the tank was like $550 or something. And on top of that was a $20 charge for carbon tax. And I think this is an example exactly of what you were talking about. I can just say, oh, carbon tax, whatever. Here's your 20 bucks. Or I can go, what is this about? Why are we having a carbon tax? How does this affect me other than the $20? Uh, Why do they say that we should pay them money to prevent carbon from going into the atmosphere? Should I spend some time finding that out, or shall I just sit back and pay the $120 a year to to Kathleen Wynne to, to put that money somewhere that's going to somehow change the lives of polar bears? (laughs)
0: <laughs> well <laughs> uh well, first of all my first the first image that came into my mind was the the story of Robin Hood and the sort of image of the sheriff's men coming in to the peasants and taking their chickens you know and and the real difference here, which I think is actually kind of nice, is yes, ma'am, we're taking your chickens and your pigs why because um uh, because of the carbon. You know, and, and so they, they, they're they polite enough. But rather than just clubbing them over the head and taking it, they they actually give them a reason. They give them a story. That's right. They give, give them a, a reason. So, you know, in a way, there's something kind of courteous about that. Although, if you actually investigate the story, the whole thing just kind of slides off and slumps off into the ocean. It's just nonsense. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know. Uh, it's so much a part of the contemporary cliches that if I say it's nonsense, then people say, well, what is he talking about? That's that's scientific, you know, but of course they don't know what they're talking about. So carbon has nothing to do with it. It's carbon dioxide. That's the, what they're talking about. And none of the measures they talk about would necessarily fix any of that. So, I mean, it's, uh, or whether the polar bears are imperiled or not because of that. I mean, all of these things are such long chains of reasoning they are beyond kafkaesque a lot of this stuff and um, and i it's very difficult for me to spend time in a popular discussion explaining exactly why i have to spend probably the whole talk explaining what's a vibration rotation spectrum of carbon dioxide i mean why that that if is different than the carbon atom and why carbon dioxide is not the same thing as carbon and what does that mean? And uh, I mean, it's some kind of slang. I don't know. It's so ridiculous. I mean, people then talk about, you know, carbon free things, which of course aren't carbon free. And then, you know, I mean, there's guys actually selling carbon free sugar. (laughs) I mean, it's like, if you know anything about biochemistry, that's just like laughably insane. This, the the phrase carbon free sugar, it's just utter gibberish. And uh, um, that's, that's the modern world, and that's kind of what I'm talking about. Is how can we get to the point where, quite aside that the politics doesn't somehow block the actual discussion of what it is that's actually the issue, and so that's the dilemma that I'm always dealing with, and I've been dealing with it for thirty years, or more.
1: <laughs> All right, captains. This is for the opening possession. One hundred scientists surveyed. Top three answers on the board. Here we go. Name a feature of relativity. No absolute time. Yeah. Answer please. Uh, my quid. It? Uh, yes. Yeah, and the to... question: What is the Linnaean system of classification for flora and fauna? From softest to hardest, what is the Mohs scale of mineral hardness? Help! Jackson. Jackson. Quarry. Appetite. Orthoclase. Quartz. They've completed the answer to capture square 31. Mallory with the ball, and he makes it. Unbelievable, Tom. Uh, This is a miracle. We have just seen a miracle. Uh, They get the win. Unbelievable. How much did he win by? I don't know. What difference does it make? It makes a big difference, girl. I've got Harvard plus the points. You bet on a game and don't understand? You're an idiot. By satellite to 123 countries around the globe, it's the 27th National Finals of Mind Game. Today's championship contest is between the University of California eggheads and the beavers of MIT. And now, here are Ron Pitts and Tom Jackson.
2: We're seconds away from the toss-up to start the
1: NCAA Mind Game Championship. Captains, this is for the opening possession. 100 scientists surveyed. Top three answers on the board. Name a common characteristic of string theory. Multiple dimensions. Answer, please. Oh, that is our... Mallory hits the multiple dimensions with authority, Tom. Yeah, but it was only a second answer. At MIT can try. Infinite density. Answer, please. You know, Mallory looks like he really didn't buy that top answer. In the human head, what are the 12 cranial nerves? factory, optic, ocular motor. Name the four heaviest chemical elements. Fermium, andalium, ah. ah. Laurentium. <laughs> A Great score by Mallory. I'm out. Red. What is pi to 13 places? It's Mallory with Cal's run yet again three point one and he could go all the way there he goes one five nine two six five unbelievable you know mallory he's playing like a man possessed m.i.t can literally do nothing to stop quinn what a move did you see that he carried pie out to enough places i think
3: what i find fascinating christopher is that they get away with it you can put down on your propane bill carbon price which I think is the exact words they use, carbon price, I don't doubt it. (laughs) Now, what is it about that particular thing that astounds you? It astounds me that they can get away with it. What does it astound you about?
0: Well, I used to be astounded, but after doing this kind of stuff for, you know, 35 years or so, I've kind of, you know... I'm kind of astounded out. I'm sort of so jaded it doesn't surprise oh, me at all. So, what a shame. <laughs> that's right. I, <laughs> no, I mean, there's certain things that I don't expect people to understand, right? at least not understand right off. And uh, the reputation, certainly, of certain technical subjects is, is such that people will immediately switch off the moment you start to talk about something. You know, you start to talk about differential equations and people just kind of, you know, that they zone out or they say they change the subject or whatever. And, and I, that's, fine. I don't think everyone should have to pay attention to these things all the time. But my experience with people on a day-to-day basis is they're pretty smart about practical things in their lives. All the things that are part of the mechanics of their daily life. they'll, they'll pay attention to. I can't, I don't know how many people I know who might say that they're not very good at math, nonetheless owned life insurance. I cannot think of something more abstract than life insurance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an abstract thing which people understand, let alone money itself. Money's alone money is pretty abstract. You go and go to a bank sometimes and sit in the waiting room and just sit there and pretend that you're a Martian and try to figure out what it is those people are doing. <laughs> it's a is it some kind of religious ritual? No, it's abstraction, and that's that's a birthright of human beings. To be able to think abstractly, and that's how we're able to manage in the world and look into the future, have a sense of the future so they can avoid getting hit by things and run over and hurt and everything else. So people have a lot of common sense and they have this ability to look into these kinds of things. The question is, can you get them to do it or realize they have to get over some bumps in order to have something intelligent to say about things that actually are affecting them directly like carbon tax for example can you get past that and unfortunately it's very difficult because people defer to expertise and they're told that experts say this and that's what we're stuck with is that kind of reasoning because after all I have doctors who are experts, and I've got plumbers who are experts, and car mechanics are experts, and I defer to them. Why shouldn't I do that in this case? And there's a good reason why one shouldn't. I'm also thinking
2: about this whole idea of the carbon issue. It's kind of a story. And it it, it occurred to me, because we've talked in the past about causality and issues like that, that I wonder if science is difficult for a lot of people because it doesn't work on a straight linear cause and effect like a story does. Mr. Smith does this, it causes this, and you have a story that each event leads to the next. In science, you have more like properties and relationships, mathematical, that are not like stories that you can retain in your mind. I think the human mind is almost constructed that way. Perhaps that's why we create so many stories from religion to Uh, mythology. Some may reflect reality, some may not, as uh, allegories.
0: Do you think there's anything to that, why the human mind kind of needs that? Well, there are sort of two questions, and I want to push back on both of them. Sure, okay. Uh, One was uh, the the question of expertise, and I kind of Mm -hmm. set that up for people to ask me the question. (laughs) What are the limits of using expertise when do you have to end up relying on yourself and when do you have to do it better? And I think this is a, not a hypothetical problem. It's a practical problem. So I use the example of, of a plumber. I mean, you, your toilet's not working. So you hire a plumber because you don't do the plumbing yourself. Now, if you do the plumbing yourself, well, then you're fine. Some people do that. I do some plumbing myself, but nobody, not everybody knows about things. And so the toilet's not working. You bring the plumber in Why do you bring the plumber in to begin with? Because you know that there's something that's wrong, that you know it, right? And when the plumber is gone, you know that that's been fixed. So even if you don't know how he fixed it, you still have an awareness in your own life of that there was something wrong and it's been fixed. So you have control over your own problem in that sense. Same thing when you visit the doctor. I mean, you've got, you know, it hurts me right here. The doctor fixes it. So in that sense, we're deferring to expertise makes sense. But what if, it, what if the problem that you're being offered is something that you have no awareness of, understanding of, or even knowing that when it's fixed, that there's a, that it's been fixed? I mean, you have no awareness of it. Or you're even knowing a, that it's a problem. But even knowing that it's a problem in the first place. Which, which so, fits in the whole climate. Well, and, and and numerous yeah. other numerous other things that that are sort of bedeviling humanity.
3: One of world. my favorites is the war on terror. Like, well, what, who declared it, and when is it supposed to be over?
0: <laughs> it, 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 well, you see, that's that's what I'm really talking about when I talk about common sense. Just asking simple questions about the propositions that are put on, and then you once you ask that, you take things down further, and it comes to the second question, which you were kind of conveying, which was, uh, is there something different about science? And I would maintain there really isn't. It doesn't seem that way. I understand why it doesn't seem that way, but there really isn't. There's stories to be told. It's just that they're told in a way that seems foreign to you because you haven't learned it's it. It's
2: like a foreign language, like it mathematics. It seems like it,
0: but it really isn't. And you, as you go in and you use your common sense on these uncommon problems more and more you'll discover that you know hey i can read it i think it was bernard shaw i i could be wrong about that who said well why we should change the alphabet because some of the the letters really you know y is c both hard and and soft and and so on and he proposed some changes and as he was explaining his his writing His reasoning for his writing, uh, he would then subsequently change all the letters according to his new rule. And by the time you were finished reading this one piece, you were able to completely read what he was saying, uh, whereas somebody who just started at the end would find it complete gibberish and wouldn't understand a word. So if you start at the beginning and follow the road, you'll find that it makes perfect sense all the way along. But if you come in at the end it won't make any sense to you at all. And that's really what the issue is about science. But in the end, it's really just a practical thing uh, that is really not unlike anything else we do. It's also a
2: case of, I guess, every new generation of humanity comes into the world essentially in terms of knowledge, tabula rasa, and has to pick up from the beginning so you have to begin with the first principles and just like teaching a child how to speak and that process must be repeated over and over again do you think that over history over current events recently that that's been abandoned a bit
0: Yeah, the old idea uh, is to be dispensed with and the new idea supplants it and uh, you then no longer hear the old idea. And then the next revolution comes on and then that, that thing gets washed away and so forth. And that's one picture of change that a lot of people have. And I think in part it's because they don't actually know the history of how ideas have developed. And what has happened is there's been tumultuous changes, to be sure, from time to time. But they are often tumultuous changes in small small domains. And so even though they mean that you have a bigger picture or a different picture of what's going on, the original picture is still true as a kind of limiting case. And that's one of the things that happens with physics particularly. You see the development of relativity and quantum mechanics and so on. You say, well, that means classical mechanics isn't good anymore. Well, no, it's still good. And in fact, most calculations... Uh, that we use in practical engineering the world that that help us are all done as if special relativity was no relativity never came about or quantum mechanics never came about. now that doesn't mean that there are, that's the case with all engineering not by a long shot but a lot of them you know how you put a building up and so forth are a bridge up it's all done with the old stuff so the old stuff has not been flushed down the toilet back back to the plumbing.
3: Knowledge accrues rather than gets replaced as such. Eh?
0: That's right. And uh, we're not like in some kind of terrible storm where you have revolution upon revolution and everything is lost. Um, I still sp- teach people the mathematics of the ancient Greeks. It's still
3: true. Would the word paradigm shift then be misused?
0: Oh yeah, it's misused. It's very much misused. It's misused in the sense that It it doesn't comprehend that there or appreciate that there's two different kind of kinds of classes of knowledge. There's sort of there's invariant knowledge that will be always with us, and there is uh, this ephemeral knowledge which is changing all the time. And that happens not only in you know political and social kinds of things, but there are things that do not change all over time. And one of the things that I think we want to focus on or get hold of as much as possible is the invariant knowledge. And that's the kind of thing we, as much as possible, we want to pass on as the groundwork of what we teach the next generation. Of course, you can be wrong about that, you know, you can try to, but then you tweak it and adjust it, but always remembering that there's going to be some kernel of it that's still valid. So if I want to teach Euclidean geometry, it's still true now as it was when euclid wrote it down and even in the 19th century i mean the end of the beginning of the 20th century there were still people who learned uh, classical geometry out of euclid i mean out of the <laughs> what he wrote down in, mm. in, in, in in greece i mean so it's it's important to understand these two different kinds of things so when i for instance i teach mathematics i teach some very old stuff and i get to the really modern stuff is when i get to the 19th century and maybe the 20th century but uh, that's the very very much near the end
1: wow the bat cave oh uh great great uh come on in uh, make yourselves at home I- i'll be with you in one second oh my god you've solved it oh that uh yeah i can explain one second explain This piece here is a proof of a unified field theory. That alone
3: is the holy grail of theoretical physics. This elegance is found here in the basement of this unknown,
0: unkempt, unpublished, unfortunately brilliant, ill-mannered, brat,
1: Holmes, what up? What up with you? What we gonna say? What we gonna do? Where we gonna go? What we gonna see? We're going to the library. I'm moving down the aisle with my homies in tow. We're grooving in the home of the librarian. Yo! She checks us out from behind thick glasses. We walk right past and we wiggle our asses. Hemingway, Lawrence, Chekhov, and Miller. this Gerald was a freak. Mailer is a killer.
2: Quiet, please.
1: The silence is golden To books I am beholding. I know I'm bad Because of the knowledge That I'm holding And I give you one warning There will be no repeats Get out of my face When I'm reading my keys
2: You are listening to Just Right Broadcasting around the world And online We are in studio With Professor Christopher Essex From the Department of Applied Mathematics At Western University And we're thinking about Broadening our discussion to whether we can have a democracy at all if technicalities are not respected in public decision-making, which is sort of how you frame that. Now, Robert, you had a had an example. Actually, Christopher has an example in a paper that uh, he recently
3: wrote called Caveman Climate and Computers. Yes. Chris Essex, of course, many, many years ago, was one of the first people to actually use computers for climate modeling purposes. And yet here in this paper, I read... Uh, climate forecasting is not an empirical problem. If one had a computer large enough, it is easy to estimate how long a typical modern computer would take to do a one 10-year forecast without some of, the, of this fake empirical physics with a Mogorov scale of about a millimeter for air. One gets numbers like 10 to the 20 years. That's longer than it took Douglas, uh, Douglas Adams' famous computer Deep Thought to um, come up with the, the question for the answer of 42. <laughs> so if it takes 10 to the 20 years to be able to correctly model the turbulence in a cubic millimeter of air, what are we doing believing climatologists when they say that in 10 years time, these will, this will be the weather patterns over the Arctic?
0: Well, uh first of all, the, the word empirical I have since understood is used very differently in the social sciences and the humanities because it's used to imply the ultimate in in solid rigor. In science is empirical whereas in theoretical physics empirical is considered to be kind of well declassé you know it's not really very good because uh, it's sort of dirty and approximate and well engineering or something like that so it's not too technical yeah well, uh, yeah well yeah <laughs> the empirical is just it's just it's because you don't really understand something and so you just use the data you have to, you don't fully understand it and you just like fit curves to it and so forth. Okay, the Kolmogorov microscale, that's the, the length scale at which the turbulence basically dissipates and dies out. So what you have is you have a situation where you have air moving around in these little... Wheels, you know, of, of vortices that are turning and turning. And then in those turning wheels, there are smaller wheels, wheels within wheels, vortices within vortices. And so that's kind of the typical kind of visualize intuitive visualization of flow that's turbulent. And so if you have wheels within wheels with wheels, you have this energy cascade, which is the famous Kolmogorov concept where you have the big ones, and the little ones and the energy basically gets distributed down to the smaller and smaller scales and at the bottom end as it flows down to the smaller and smaller scales so the big wheels drive the little wheels which drive the little ones so on the bottom is the kolmogorov microscale that's when the wheels get sort of dissipated out when you're doing an actual calculation with a real computer what you're have to do is you can't use the true equations. You have to actually chop them up in little pieces. Digestible bites. Digestible bites. Computers only have a finite number of numbers in them, and it's a finite representation. So you can only hang your equations on grid points. So you actually replace the original equations with a completely different set of equations called difference equations, which you try to make as much like the original equations as you can, but there's going to be differences, and that's important. And one of the things when you're doing calculations is you try to make sure that the solutions, the wiggles, are bigger than the grid spacing of the little points you hang it on, right? So you have to have the grid spacing smaller than all the wiggles. That's very much like the whole thing
2: between digital and analog music. It's isn't
0: exactly it? that. And uh, if you look at a, a uh, computer screen and if you look close enough, you see it's made up of little points called mm-hmm. pixels. And what goes on between the pixels, you don't see. This is really what this is all about. It's exactly the same kind of concept, but it's a, like a, a data element as opposed to a pixel, and anything that goes on in between, the, you just don't get it. So what you want is you want to make sure all the structure is bigger than your pixel because you don't pixel resolution because you don't won't see it. So the problem with turbulence is all these little things grow. I mean that's the problem is the the, the little things between the pixels can grow into big things. Yes. And that's, that's the, the whole essence of chaos and... and butterfly wings. Per, yeah. Butterfly effects and everything else. So your best hope is to make sure that anything that's going on is uh, larger than the pixel resolution. So if you try to do it for a computer, for climate, and you say, well, let's do it at a meteorological scale, and we say, let's just integrate meteorology f- into the future, and we don't want to have this problem, then we're going to have to have at least... A grid spacing smaller than a millimeter which is the Kolmogorov microscale and if you do that and you actually put throw the numbers out first of all everyone would have to stand still for Ten years, so that you don't you know shake things up. But you know, never mind with that.
3: But and all the butterflies would have to stop flapping. Their everyone wings.
0: would have to sit still, like like one of those nineteenth century photographs where they had to sit <laughs> still for sixty seconds. Well, which is
3: why nobody smiles in those photographs. That's
0: right, nobody smiles. So we because <laughs> everyone's miserable <laughs> sitting still. Okay, right. So so that so now you have this. You, if you actually just do run the numbers, you know this is what you'd have to do to do the straight up proper calculation that we would teach our students should be done when you're actually finding numerical solutions of actual differential equations. And what you discover is that you get timescales of the order of 10 to the 20 years to do the calculation that way. So in order to actually have a model that is going to work at all in a reasonable amount of time, what you have to do is you have to take into account the fact that you're going to have a grid spacing with a lot going on in between that you can't See, that's like between the pixels in your screen. And you have to figure out some cunning way to take that into account. You can never do it perfectly, but you do it the best you can. And if I was paid to do such models, I would have to do exactly the same thing, because otherwise we would never get an answer for any of them, right? So those things below the resolution of the grid is called subgrid scale phenomena. And it's a very fundamental thing. And all the physics in that domain cannot be captured... With the basic equations, you have to actually figure out sort of some kind of, you know, introduce some sort of physical intuition. Well, it's got to be like this. And so those are called parameterizations. And that's could be called in a less polite way fake physics, right? So it's designed to work. Now, this kind of thing is done in engineering because sometimes things are too complicated to do any other way. But they fix that and they do it in a very practical way, which engineers are and I have great respect for them. You, put, you know, you want to find turbulence over the wing of an aircraft, fine. You, you do some sort of parametrization, but you take the parametrization and you stick the plane and wing it in a wind tunnel and you do some measurements to see that your parameterization is going to work over the domain that you're actually going to be experiencing take this back to the climate problem we don't have anything that's empirical in time we have we can look at the way things are now and we have to make some guesses about how they might change in the future but we don't know how things are going to change in the future so we don't because we don't have any theory for it we only have the the laboratory physics that we have now Uh, we can, the radiation is probably okay, but the fluid mechanics is definitely not And the large, on the very large scale, because there's a lot of phenomena that are going on that we just can't capture. And so the very long time scale behavior is very much not, not understood, but that's precisely what they're claiming to forecast. So, you know, on one hand, that's a bad thing, but on the other hand, it's not a bad thing to have such models as long as you understand what their limitations are. But if you don't understand what the limitations are and you apply them, treat them like an oracle, like some kind of computer god, then they will be misused.
3: So should I pay my $20 carbon tax or should I be out there with my pitchfork on front of Queen's Park?
0: Well, you could do both. (laughs) (laughs) Schrodinger's politician. That's right. (laughs)
2: There's something you were talking about in all those all of that computer analysis, that that computery re- stuff, yeah, all that know. computery stuff that reminded yeah. me of, of what I find remarkable is, is basic compression. When you're dealing with audio and video, you see that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, you might be dealing with what's known as a bitmap, where there's no compression and then somebody takes that same image and in using half the information computer wise creates the same image, say, make a JPEG. Mm-hmm. is that what is that similar in theory because somebody's taking well there, the short it,
0: what you are saying is that there are some things in the data that don't matter and there are other things that do for the purpose of human perception, but mm-hmm. uh, that, ah, yeah. that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that that other data won't come in handy in some other context. So you may have discarded it. So it's one of the reasons why professional photographers use some other format like RAW Tiff, uh, yeah. and and they use the whole thing, yeah. and that's what they store because they might want to work with the background and so forth. But if they have these compressed formats, they won't be able to recover that information. So there's a kind of thing you see in, on television programs, you know, where they, you know, they're looking for some perpetrator in a crime program and they've got an image from a street video and they say, okay, there's this thing and let, let's enhance it and we'll, <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll, and they zoom right oh, in. Oh, no, now that. I can read the license plate. <laughs> the point is the information is in many cases not there. You can't add information in those techniques. No, you lose, you lose it when you, when you toss it or you just all instrumentation has a fundamental limit, and it doesn't matter how much analysis you do, uh, it's it's not going to help. And I, I mean, I often use the example of measuring the width of a table with a meter stick. Right? I mean, you know, you can drop the meter stick down, and you can look at the edge of the table, and you could sort of probably measure it to within you know a fraction of a millimeter. And you say, well, okay, maybe point two millimeters or, and then you write down a number. And of course, you know, what ca- happens in, in popular thought is you think, well, you leave the room and we'll bring in another person and they'll measure it. And then we we'll just measure an infinite number of people. And uh, then according to the theory of statistics, the error should go down as one over the square root of the number, but that is a meaningless st- error in terms of the actual length of the table. It won't, it won't help because the, the systematic error that's built into the, um, into the measuring stick, uh, and even into your definition of the length will ultimately foil any, uh, you know, infinite number of people coming in and driving the error to zero. The zero will be fun, the error will be fundamentally limited by the instrument itself. Mm-hmm. So all machinery, all measurements are all limited in some, at some level. And so you always have to do that. And computers are like that as well. I mean, they, in terms of their ability to calculate. So
3: So we, should we trust these climate models and climatologists out there when they, when they come out with these theories about how things are going to change?
0: My, my experience is that certainly in the old days, I mean, I've been at this since the 1970s, late seventies. And um, uh, in those days, people were the scientists I knew were very,
2: level-headed
0: about this stuff they would say well you know here are the limitations and and so forth but over it's now been like a couple of almost a generation and a half or so that's gone in between uh things have changed a lot because the way in which government and so on has been um funding science and so forth has caused i think to a large extent Um, A kind of perhaps unintentional maybe uh, flow of of policy preferred positions to ultimately affect the way in which science is done. And uh, I'm totally fine with the idea that a lot of scientists may have, you know, a range of opinions about this stuff but they would not be comfortable with sharing their positions on, on it if it was not going according to the fashion, not only because they may be vilified, but also because by even by their colleagues, but also because uh, they may lose their grants and, and so forth. So there's, there's a real hesitation, and then there's uh, various levels of this. Um, Some very, you know, hardcore, solid scientists who just keep their opinions to themselves all the way up. But the real people who are really pushing this stuff aren't the actual scientists, in my opinion. There are some who are like that, but they've kind of said goodbye to the science to some extent when they do that. But they're often, you you know, in between intermediaries who do that. Al Gore? well al gore is an example of one of them
3: he's a shaman you called you yeah, covered this little bit yes, of paper. He,
0: <laughs> yeah that's him <laughs> after reviewing
1: the summons that reaper handed you there's not a whole lot i can do yeah but you said you could get bill collectors off our backs you said off our backs but you see you ran out on a bill owed to an accredited shaman i mean i'm good but i'm not that good <laughs> you can't be serious This is some kind of a joke, right? (laughs) Sure. Keep telling yourself that. This is insane. I can't believe a civilized society could allow something like this.
2: So what's the verdict?
0: Big trouble.
1: Is there anything we can do? Only the sorcerer can help you now. But of course, he'd never see you. Grim Reapers, Hogwash! We have seen nothing on this world that cannot be explained by natural law. Yeah? Well, that freakazoid last night didn't look too natural to me. Six feet tall and 45 pounds. That was a reject from a Halloween carnival,
3: using makeup and costume to intimidate the simple-minded. Oh, meaning
1: us? Well, if fits, wear it.
3: After all is said and done, Christopher, how does this undermine democracy?
0: In many cases, the scientific side of things doesn't really matter on many day-to-day things. Science is a particular mode of thought. It's different than political thinking and so forth, although there's a lot of postmodern thinking that wants to eliminate that point of view. It's a really quite a straightforward thing. If you don't know what your problem is and you don't even know when your problem is fixed, in other words, it's not a problem of calling a plumber or a doctor or a mechanic. It's just something that somebody told you was a problem and they told you that if you do some particular thing, like pay more taxes or something, that the problem would be mitigated or solved and so forth. And you're told that you don't know anything about it. And so you should just keep your mouth shut if you have any doubts because you're not an expert. And that if you do say anything, then they'll say, well, you know, you're not uh, in favor of science. You don't believe in science. So you're some sort of backwarded person. Or a heretic. Or, well, in my case, I'd be a heretic, but they would accuse somebody who's a layman uh, of being, a, of just being some sort of... Malcontent. You know, ignorant, <laughs> you know, country bumpkin who doesn't understand science or something. But then if you ask the people who do the accusing what they actually know about the science, you discover they don't know anything. I mean, really, to the point of embarrassment, I mean, that's one of the things I I, uh, I did when I used to give a pop quiz to journalists when they were going to interview me, and uh, I'd ask them just a simple question, and they they would be completely nonplussed by the whole exercise. They would not be able to answer the most basic kinds of properties of the, of the topic that they were discussing because they would always go talking about how people are, whether they're, you know, whether you should believe their motivations and everything else. That's absolutely what you don't do when you talk about science. You talk about things and you don't talk about people. That's, That's what you do when you talk about science. You talk about the nature of the world. You don't talk about whether the guy is you know, had a drunk driving uh, indictment or something like that. I mean, that's, to me, it comes across as completely bonkers. But, uh, people so,
3: sometimes say that uh, Einstein doesn't know what he's talking about because he, he couldn't learn how to tie his shoes until he was five years old. Oh, yeah.
0: And so therefore, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, right. <laughs> so why does that affect politics? Well, if you have a, a culture in which you blindly, naively follow what people who are who claim to be experts on on something you blindly follow them then all that's really needed is for someone to get between you and the experts and if you believe them then they basically eliminate the, the expertise the knowledge from the discussion and they can tell you whatever they want within a certain wide parameters and so you can actually undermine democracy entirely because you can simply tell people how they ought to vote because that's what the experts say. And it's really, and I used the word shaman before, that's what the shamans would do. And I think this idea of removing practical knowledge from people is a very bad thing because then unscrupulous people can actually control everything by just controlling the message of the experts.
2: Now, this whole idea of technicalities, particularly, I know in your field, you're talking mostly about science, but that would be a principle that would, extend into every field, wouldn't it? Administrative technicalities, mathematical ones, legal ones. For example, I think due process is being thrown out the window as a technicality that we've developed over the years in terms of all the silly sexual accusations we're we're hearing being made in the public. Yeah, the sex apocalypse.
0: Yes, the sex (laughs)
2: apocalypse, that's right. But when we talk about politics, which is very unlike all those other fields... It seems to me what politics has been and, and needs to evolve away from it's been this sort of crony enterprise that really seeks to serve interests, needs and wants. And if those interests, needs and wants get in the way of knowledge, of uh, you know or, or the other way around, if knowledge gets in the way of the interests, needs and wants, it will often be put aside even consciously. You see do you, you see that? process anywhere in the field in which you're working because there's got to be a lot of politics that has entered your own field of of expertise
0: now human human beings are not perfect and they're fundamentally flawed and I don't think there's any way to beat it out of them although many people have tried you know I mean that's that's like the legacy of the 20th century people are imperfect so we bring out some imperfect people to decide what's perfect right i mean i think if you Approach this as being imperfect, and understand that people are not always going to do that. I, right I thing don't think so that's
2: the issue so much. I think the issue is more: okay, we can accept there are imperfect people and people with lack of knowledge. But what it gets dangerous when that becomes a standard of sorts to which we all must serve. It's almost like the knowledgeable must bow down to the unknowledgeable, and that's yeah. not the direction we should be heading in. At least that—that's that, my. I, a, I, mean, I,
0: I remember this uh, quotation about being governed by the first hundred names in the phone book, uh, as opposed to the faculty of a university. And I, I, I subscribe to that, uh, the sort of basic common sense of people. And if you can get the basic common sense of people into uncommon contexts... Then I think we're probably going to be okay. I mean, a lot of the stuff will will shake itself loose. But the, as long as we have this obstacle of expertise, and you uh, should be ashamed of yourself for exploring this area which you are not expert in and you're not uh, not talented in, then uh, um, I, I think we're going to be in trouble in that respect. Now, as you said it's not just science yes i i think that there are there are some certain principles invariant knowledge that has been learned over the centuries in non-science areas and i and i think we're certainly throwing those out uh in the, the postmodern world uh because the people there think that change is all about revolution and not by accrual of knowledge. They they understand it's revolution throw everything out, start I've over again. I always lamented the oh, yeah.
3: fact that people treat politics in uh, a fashion like what you just described, yeah. rather than a scientific fashion, where you find out what is what works, and and that of course assumes a standard against which you measure a success. Um, and and throw out that which does not work politics just seems to be such a ramshackle study
0: i find it beyond confusing personally i mean i don't really think i'm that very good at politics but uh, cuz it's it's you have to live with these incoherent contradictions and in, in concept uh, and i i don't really understand Left versus right, and and so forth. Well,
2: that's a biggie. That's one we're spending a lot of time on explaining.
0: That doesn't <laughs> that doesn't make sense to me at all. Never did, and uh, there, I can go through what the heck is social justice? Is there such a thing as anti social justice? I mean, wow. the, the, the notion of juxtaposing a, 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 a concept like justice and, and, a, and an adjective. You know, what yes. does the adjective mean? It always it means negates not. the
2: term. It negates it
0: the term. It not, means not. It's like alt-right is that. not right,
2: for
3: example. Well,
0: and, and go through the list. You know, can always ask, what's the opposite? Because I'm in the um, sciences, does that mean that I'm in the inhumanities? Or <laughs> <laughs> or does it mean I'm in the anti-social sciences? Or so yeah. what, I mean, what does it mean? <laughs>
2: Well you're also in a university environment and you know we talk about common sense and knowledge and what is certainly apparent to most of us reading the papers and hearing the news is that all the insanity is now originating and being seen mostly on the university campuses across the continent. <laughs> and, and that is supposed to be the citadel of knowledge from which future generations are supposed to acquire this knowledge. It's, it's almost backwards.
0: Uh, this, isn't this a scary trend we're in the middle of? Yeah, I mean, the world is a scary place to begin with, so uh, just because we have a scary trend doesn't mean we should all just run for the hills. I'm, no, not I'm, suggesting that. You no, know, I don't like it, but, you know, it's not something that I'm, I'm particularly worried about. It. I do think that over the generations, the thing that really makes a difference with human beings is the fact that we understand the non-human side of world, the world better and better, and that has caused us to react at the human level in many ways we didn't think we would otherwise and uh, so we have to figure out how to cope with the fact that we understand the scientific world better and not do what's kind of been going on which is to push away this this understanding of the world in which we live they should embrace it more and they should also embrace what old knowledge is that has stood the test of time and try to work out some kind of compromise between these things rather than throwing them all out and then starting all over again in some kind of fantasy utopia.
3: We talked uh, at the beginning of the show about common sense and that everybody is capable of learning all of the science that is necessary for them given a certain situation. And I'm thinking of a particular line from the Lord of the Flies movie um just came to my head, so I haven't seen the movie in decades, but one person was talking about ghosts, and Piggy basically says he doesn't believe in ghosts, and they say, why? He says, because things wouldn't work. He had an intuit understanding, a common sense, that if you accept the idea of this shaman saying about ghosts, then two plus two will not equal four. In other words, it's not real. It cannot be real. You cannot mm-hmm. accept the unreal and the real at the same time. And that, to me, was a perfect example of common sense, understanding the world around you and rejecting that which you know, which does not accept the reality that you are aware of, that your senses right. tell you is real. And I think that we're finding that in, 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 in the political sphere, not the scientific sphere so much, but the political sphere is that they're trying to put up before us these ghosts, and to scare us into paying our twenty-dollar propane carbon fee price.
0: Well, that's the law. You have no choice. I mean, they, and here they, I am, Piggy, uh, saying no. Yes, that, that, doesn't that doesn't make doesn't sense. You have to like it or <laughs> say that it doesn't make sense. You can say that, but you still have to pay the darn thing. You know, so uh, the, true. That's yes. right. So, <laughs> it's,
2: yeah, it's a law, but it's not a natural law. So, by the way law. I
0: I rationalize it to myself, as I said, it's uh, like the king's sheriff is. Decided he's going to, uh, they're going to um, take the money from you and very politely tell you that they have a reason. Because in the end, they don't need a reason. They just, if it's they have the, the law, guns. it's the law. Yeah, so they don't really need a neat reason to take the money from you. They just, they very kindly are providing one for you that you can... Wrap your mind around and feel more comfortable about it if you like that as an explanation. And maybe you should suggest that they could give you several other explanations and you could choose the one you like the most, you know. I mean that's <laughs> but in the end, they're just taxes. Instead you. of
3: carbon it's price, mistaken. just put the word extortion next
2: to it or why not? Or, or yeah, or why not? Twenty dollars <laughs> <laughs> no, because we the, say or so. Or the
0: technical term for that, which is taxes. So yeah. All right. Right.
2: <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us again today, <laughs> it's always Chris. Fun. It's, been a lot of fun and we've now reached that point in our show where technicalities very much do matter and we're approaching that point now so be sure to join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction and until then, be right, stay right do right, act right, think right and be right back here, we'll see you then Fade into color, color into black and white Under the Everything will be alright a light. I'm a genius again.
1: I know everything. Metaphysics, philosophy, the purpose of being. Everything. Ask me a question. Any question I'll answer it. Any question? Yes. How to break the speed of light? How to marry quantum mechanics and classical physics? Any question at all? Truly anything and you will answer? Yes. Okay, here's my question. Would you like some toast? <laughs> no, thank you. Now ask me another.
2: Do you know anything about the use of chaos theory in predicting weather cycles?
1: I know everything there is to know about chaos theory in predicting weather
2: cycles. Oh, very well. Here's my second question. Would you like a crumpet?